This podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Diana, Texas. If you're in East Texas, you can gather with us on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. You can find more episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on our website, www.fbcdiana.org. Thanks for listening. Well, we will be in Deuteronomy chapter 21, and I'll give you some time to turn there. Uh, while you're turning there, I'll just give us a little bit of context, a little bit of, uh, because I know that you guys are not in the book of Deuteronomy, and so I don't want you to just jump into the deep end. Uh, so to set the scene as best I can in Deuteronomy, I actually want to head, uh, begin by heading over to the city of Jerusalem around the year AD 30. Uh, and that places us in the book of Acts. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one at all or not. I know you guys are in the book of Acts. That's why I said that. Um, but you guys gave me just about as much laughter as I always get, so that's perfect. I feel right at home. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, though, Peter and the apostles, they're in Solomon's portico. They're, uh, they're preaching. They're healing the sick. Uh, thousands, if, if not multiple thousands of, of people are surrounding them. Uh, they're being, uh, all of those who are afflicted by demonic influences or spirits uh, are being rescued. They're being uh, saved from that point of view. And then uh, people are coming to faith in droves. And it's a beautiful look at the power of the Holy Spirit. Because just a few chapters ago, these same men were hidden away in the upper room, hiding from those who just put Jesus into death. They're feeling hunted. When Jesus told them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it was because they were going to need power. But the religious leaders at the time, the high priests, the Sadducees, the the Pharisees, they don't like this. They they see all of this happening and they think, well, that used to be me. People used to come to me for for stuff like that. They used to come to me with their issues and, and with their money. I mean, with their problems, but especially their money. But just look at these uneducated fools. That guy's a fisherman. And people are coming to him in droves. Don't they know? Don't they know that their Messiah was a sham? He died. He must not have been the true Messiah. Do you guys not realize this? In fact, they get so enraged over this that they arrest the apostles. They put them in a public prison and charge them not to speak any more of this resurrection gospel that they hear about. And so, as it goes in the night, an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors, uh, told them to continue speaking the words of life and as the sun is rising, they're in the temple doing so. Uh, and and it's at this moment, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, they all come out and, and they, they're hoping to find them in the prison. They're not there. And so this tense argument breaks out, starting in chapter 5, verse 28, that says, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Uh, 
there's a reason why they're enraged and, and wanting to kill them. Uh, Peter's response is just rich with irony. Uh, if you think about who he's speaking to, the, the Pharisees, they, they know the law. They know the law. They say they claim to be uh, a Pharisee of the law, which means they, they're experts. They've got it down. Uh, if you claim that they are not upholding this law, they say, no, 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 I am. I've got all of these laws covered. They know it upside down and, and inside out and round and round. They take great pride in saying, I have them all covered. And just, just think about Paul's boast in Philippians 3, where he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, uh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I've, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And Peter says to a room full of these prideful men that God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And then speaks of the resurrection, which the Sadducees don't even believe in. But there's another controversial phrase in there for all of those who, who are familiar with the law. And we see it in verse 30. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now, why would this be controversial? Because if you are a Pharisee of, as to the law, one who knows the law inside and out, then you know that what they just said is preposterous. You know that this phrase is, is, is a complete hindrance to their whole argument that Jesus was the Messiah. Because if Jesus was the Messiah, if he was sent from God, then first of all, he shouldn't have died. He was supposed to have ushered in the new kingdom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I don't know why I turned my head. The mic goes with me. Excuse me. But even if he were to die, then he shouldn't have died. He certainly shouldn't have died by hanging on a tree. Why? Because of Deuteronomy 21. That will tell us that there is a divine curse placed upon a man who is hanged on a tree. A curse so strong that if the cursed body were to remain overnight, the land itself, the ground, might be defiled. And so we must begin with a question. What does the Old Testament Mosaic law of, of Deuteronomy 21 have to teach us about Jesus? How can this passage lead us to marvel at the gospel? And this is the question because we haven't come here this morning to learn some knowledge or tips and tricks on how to be better, or five steps to become a better parent, or husband, or wife, you won't find any of that here. We need the gospel. We need the gospel. We're prone to wander. We're quick to become weary. We need the anchor, the rest of the gospel, to bolster our weakened hearts yet again. We need to see another glimpse of this Jesus. The, uh, another Another view, another uh, viewpoint perspective of the person and work of Jesus. Another contour of this never-ending good news that is the gospel. And the mystery of this gospel is that as we are focused on it, and the more we are centered on Christ, it, the more that we become like Him, the more we behold Him by faith, and the, the, more our, the, the more gracious our parenting becomes, the more loving we become as a spouse the more Christ-like we will become as we behold him, as we see him slain for us, as we see the gospel being played out again and again. And so I'm very proud to be here this morning to offer you not 
a different gospel, but simply a different outcropping on which to behold the same old beautiful gospel yet again from a different passage. And so to do so this morning, uh, I hope to break down our time together into three parts. Uh, The first is the curse. The second is the cross. And the third doesn't start with a C. It is the gospel. I'm not a super Baptist, just regular. But we will walk through Deuteronomy 21 to see uh, what this curse is, what it meant in its context, then stride over to the New Testament to see uh, what the cross has to do with this specific curse, and then end together at what uh, a look at the cross and and then the curse uh, means for you and I together. So with that in mind, let's read Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23, and then we'll pray together. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Let's pray together. Father, again, we must confess and and admit our need for you especially so as we come before your word. God, would you open it to us? Would you reveal it to us? Would you open the hardness of our hearts that remains so that you might transplant the newness of heart that we see in this text? God, do surgery on our hearts by this sword. Would you remove the stoned parts of us that remain due to sin and show us what it looks like to walk in newness of life by your word this morning. God, change us, transform us by degree again this morning as we behold your son. And so in that, Father, if there's anything I say that is contrary to sound doctrine, that that would go against your word or your gospel, I pray that you would help us to all forget it, keep it from my mouth if possible. And if there is anything that any of us think in this room this morning that is uh, wrong thinking of you, God, would you replace it with good thinking of you? Would you replace it with sound theology, good theology, good thinking of who you are and what you have done? And then help us, Father, to walk out of these doors this morning knowing it, but more importantly, believing it and walking in light of it. So help us, guide us, be with us in this time because it is a work that only you can do, Father. And so we plead with you, help us. Let us see Jesus this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I just want to say, because uh, it reminds me of home, honestly, um, that I love that kids are in here with you guys. Um, so I just wanted to say up front, uh, I love it. If they make noises, that's going to happen. If they make any kinds of sounds that uh, you think that they need to leave, that's, that's totally fine. They're going to make those noises. That's what kids do. Uh, if you consider it, we're before the, the Lord's table, if you will. And so things get loud around the table sometimes. That's going to happen. Uh, and honestly, I consider it an Amen. So if, if ever you guys hear it come up, just go along with it. Say, Amen. All right. Perfect. So uh, the curse, the cross, and the gospel. We'll start with the curse. Looking back at Deuteronomy 21, 
says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. Uh, it's true that we can make scripture say a whole lot of what scripture never says by taking it out of its context. And so uh, let's find it. Uh, we're in the book of Deuteronomy, which just means second law. It's a it's second law because it's somewhat of an extended summary of everything that we've seen so far in the law. Um, everything of, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it's just a summary of, of all of those laws together. But it's also a reminder of, of events that have happened, of, of teachings of, of Moses to the people of God as they stand ready to take to, to enter and to take possession of the promised land. And so in it, throughout it, Moses reminds God's people of God's faithfulness, of his love, but also of God's wrath on the previous generation of Israelites because of their rebellion. And over and over and over again, he charges Israel to keep the law. He says there are blessings for faithfulness, but there are curses for unfaithfulness. Now, typically, how the person ended up hanging on a tree, like what we see in Deuteronomy 21, was when they committed a crime punishable by death. It would be put to death by stoning. Only after their death were they put up on a tree. If you've seen the, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Jack Sparrow comes in on his boat and passes by three skeletons uh, with signs hanging around their necks that say, Pirates, you be warned. This is nothing more than that. It's a, it's a, a man hanging on a tree was a warning to the rest of the people of what, what comes to these kinds of criminals. But now, God is adding an amendment to this practice. If he is put to death and he's hanged on a tree for all to see, which is good and right, his body shall not remain all night up there. You shall bury him the next day. Why? The text tells us, for, to say, because a hanged man is cursed by God. So we have to define some terms here because what is a curse? Uh, the Hebrew word here means devoted to doom or de- devoted to destruction. So if you think about um, a curse meaning uh, being sentenced to death, and that will be extremely important moving forward, but let's look at it just a little bit later in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, Moses writes, you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. Uh, these are all the, um, the outworkings of the curse that will come to them. You shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your dead body shall be food for the birds of the air, for the beasts of the earth. There shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. You shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness. You shall betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. It shall not be in the power of your hand to prevent it so that you shall be driven mad by the sight which your eyes shall see. You shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. All these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you and your descendants forever. So you'll notice over and over he says, you shall, the Lord will. So these are things that are coming. And so a curse then is a promised sentence of death. Why is that the case? Well, let's go back to the fact that the man was hanged for a crime. He's up there on a tree for a crime punishable by death. Uh, What kinds of crimes were punishable by death under the Mosaic law? Here are just a few. Exodus 22, 
verse 20 says, whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction, cursed. Leviticus 20 reads that any man who sacrifices his child to Molech, which is another God, so a child sacrifice, shall be stoned. And not only that, but any man who doesn't stone that man shall be stoned. And, and the list goes on. False prophecy, necromancy, breaking the Sabbath, adultery, murder. All of these are acts of disobedience against God and they require the life of the offender. But let's take this even further. Listen to the curse of Genesis 3.16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Amen. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Oddly enough, we see another involvement of trees and curses. And we'll come back to this. But for now, we see the foundation of all the law. If you do this, you will live. And if you don't do this, you will surely die. Now, there's not any Mosaic law crime uh, concerning eating fruit that is punishable by death. But what does the sin of Genesis 3.16 and the sin of breaking the Mosaic law have in common? For that matter, what does any sin have in common with any other sin? The one they are against. A sin being punishable by death, humanly speaking, really only points to the seriousness of all sin before God. And what ultimately comes to those who sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Any sin before a holy and just God is to be punished by death. Not because it's more or less socially acceptable than others, but because they are an utter act of rebellion against the king who deserves our loyalty. And so those who rebel against the king deserve the traitor's treatment. Since God is infinitely good, even one sin is infinitely costly. And so the punishment will match the infinite cost of the crime and be infinite torment in hell. And so, how does one become cursed by God? Very simply, one must sin. In fact, the rest of the passage in Deuteronomy 28 reads as following. All these curses shall come upon you. Why? Because... You did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. And so to answer the question, who is a cursed man? We must soberly confess, who isn't? Now, if you're a Pharisee, in AD 30 in Jerusalem, you know this law. And so any mention from Peter or any other apostle about the tree that Jesus was killed upon was laughable. And was the moment of the hard-heartedness that they had toward this message because a crucified Messiah put up on a tree, that is an impossibility. The one on the, on the tree is a traitor. The one on the tree is a sinner. He's cursed because of his inability and unwillingness to uphold the law. That can't be the Messiah. And so we come to our second point, the cross. Because now the question becomes, what does the cross of Christ have to do with a cursed tree of Deuteronomy 21? To answer this, uh, we have to be begin with a bit of a historical context. Josephus, he was a Jewish historian, wrote um, all about the, what you see in the book of Acts. Uh, but he wrote 
uh, that the Jews, the Jewish people, first encountered a crucifixion as early as 162 BC. So before Christ, if you will, uh, 162. The high priest, Alcimus, had 60 Pharisaical Jews crucified on the cross, on different crosses. And about 70 years after this, King Alexander Janius crucified 800 Pharisees in Jerusalem. So just 100 years before the birth of Christ, God has sovereignly brought about the, the Roman culture, which is they, they're, uh, one of their most popular forms of uh, to- torture and death was crucifixion. And so God has brought about this sovereignly, this broad popularization of crucifixion, so that when the time comes for the Pharisees and Sadducees to accuse him and want him killed, they cry, crucify him, humiliate him, put this sinner on a tree to die a cursed death. Why? Well, for them, when Jesus said that he was the son of man seated at the right hand of God, the high priest tore his clothes and cried out, He has spoken blasphemy. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and immediately the Sadducees began plotting to have him killed because again, they don't believe in the resurrection. And when Jesus said he would rebuild the temple in three days, they knew, they knew that he was blaspheming. They've been through the history of it. It took them forever to get to this temple. Three days. And so they deemed him as one who should be hanged on the tree. And so we come back Again, to Peter saying, our Messiah, our Messiah King, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. This is ridiculous to a Pharisee. A Messiah cannot die on a cross. He cannot be cursed by God, which is why some of the men who passed by the cross mocked Jesus saying, yeah, he's the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. Peter knows this apparent contradiction is probably why he uses such specific language as he does. But that's perhaps a, a bit of the shock that Paul experiences on the road to Damascus when Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, begins speaking to him. He knew all at once that he has been wrong, that Jesus was truly the Messiah, that Jesus was who he said he was, and that everyone who he has been persecuting up to this point is not crazy. They're right. And all at once he knew the only way for this to be happening right now is if God really were to be cursed. And he was. We read about this mysterious, paradoxical, beautiful claim in Galatians 3.13 that says, The Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Paul, raised as a Pharisee in Jerusalem, knows his doctrine, knows Deuteronomy 21, and so he knows that Jesus truly did hang as a cursed man on the cross. And wonderfully, bizarrely, the perfect Jesus hung there on that cross as a cursed man so that cursed men and women might be ransomed, so that they might be saved, that they might be redeemed. Justin Martyr He was a first century saint. He wrote these words in reflection of what Paul had to say here. He said, The whole human race is found to be under a curse. Yet, the Father of all wished the Messiah for the whole human family to take upon him the curses of all. He suffered these things on behalf of the human family as if he were a 
accursed. Which pretty quickly brings us to our last point, the gospel. Because finally, finally, the question becomes, what does this curse and this cross have to do with me? To put it simply, this curse is our curse. And this cross is our only hope. This is our curse because it is a curse of disobedience. The wages of sin is death. But that means the wages of my sin, of your sin, is my death and your death. Galatians 3.10, a little bit before 13, says that Cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Uh, There's not a single one of us who can claim to be this good. Before I became a pastor, I was in the family roofing business. Actually, have spent time out here uh, in East Texas uh, doing a lot of that work. But my uncle Don and I used to have a, a bunch of long talks on on the way out to these jobs, especially way out here in East Texas. And he would say things like, "I, I just hope I've done more good than bad. I, I try to do uh, one good thing a day to to hopefully weigh out the balance." And I would always ask him, "Well, what's the count today?" I'd ask him jokingly, but. My point for him and for us today is this. There's not a single one of us who can claim righteous perfection before a holy God. Maybe we have a good day. Maybe we actually do more good than we did bad for a day, but that fails to recognize the fact that it's not about the bad things we've done but, or, or any of the sins we've committed so much as it is the person against who those sins are against. And we know this. It, it would be one thing to slap me in the face, but everyone in this room knows it's a different thing to slap a, a Navy SEAL. Like we know the difference. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful and desperately, desperately wicked. Psalm 143, the psalmist cries out, do not enter into judgment with me for no one living is righteous before you. A reality like this will take more than good deeds to overcome. In fact, Jesus calls this out directly in Matthew seven twenty one when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty good works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so we get this sense that that we are nothing more than cursed before God. Before the king of the universe, we are as good as dead. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 will tell us you were dead in your trespasses and sins. If a curse is a sentence, a promised sentence to death, then that is our sentenced to death. And this is horrible news for sinners. And I want to be as clear as I possibly can be. The benefits of the gospel that we haven't gotten to just yet do not apply to any in unbelief. Jesus will declare to all whom he never knew, those who never trusted in him for eternal life and became one with him, who now are are in a relationship with God the Father through the Son, To those who are unrepentantly disobedient, he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And so if by chance you have come here this morning, and I want to to be very clear, it is no accident. 
You did not come here this morning to, to, to be in this room by any accident at all. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, find the person next to you. Talk to them about it. If they don't know, you guys go together and talk to someone else. Find someone. Talk with someone about it. Ask God now to save you. Because there is good news. Behold the mercy. Behold the grace. Behold the redemption. Behold the gospel. Galatians told us that Christ bought us back. He purchased us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us. God doled out every bit of the curse, every bit of the punishment that the curse deserved onto Jesus. He was made a curse for us. And now we can know him. He will instead cry out to us, not, I never knew you, depart from me, but I know you. Come, sit, eat, be refreshed, be at complete and perfect peace. Eternal life is yours. In taking this curse, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the full impact of God's wrath. He experienced the punishment of death, the fullest extent of this promised curse, this sentence to death. Why? He cried out, why have you forsaken me? So that we might never have to cry that out. That we might be redeemed from the curse of the law. That we might experience life. That we might be restored to a relationship with God. That we might know Him and He might know, know us as His own. All because Jesus took the curse that we deserved upon Himself. He was hung on a cross so that you and I might have life. The bad news of the gospel is what we read in Leviticus 27-29. that says, No one who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind, no one who is cursed, shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. But the good news of the gospel is that that actually happened. And that Jesus Christ was put to death for us. That he went unransomed. He went unsaved. That we might be ransomed. What does the Old Testament Mosaic law curse of Deuteronomy 21 have to teach us about Jesus? Behold another glimpse of the person and work of Jesus. Another contour of this never-ending good news that is the gospel. That the curse that we deserve to bear, that should be on our heads and our shoulders, was placed onto Jesus. And so now when we think about coming to the Father and we have sinfulness, we have indwelling sinfulness that we know contradicts the very uh, gospel that we love, we know that we don't deserve to come to the Father, we can then look at Deuteronomy 21 and say, there's no curse left for me. There's no wrath left for me. It's on Him. A recent song by uh, Stuart Townend puts it this way. It says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. But 
His dying breath has bought me life. I know that it is finished. And so when we have that indwelling sin that does rise up, that reminds us, that, that accuses us of, oh, you, you should be under this curse. We know we can preach the gospel to ourselves in that moment and say, no, that work is finished. The work it takes to be with the Father is finished. It was accomplished. And by some mystery, it was accomplished for me. In Revelation 22, verse 14, it talks about the the eternal state. It talks about our heaven, where we will sit and dine and and drink with the resurrected Jesus, with our new bodies. There will be uh, no more tears, no more sickness, no more uh, death at all, no pain. It's depicted as a place where we will eat from the tree of life. A tree was involved in the entry of sin into humanity through the tree in the garden and the ultimate removal of sin in eternity through the tree of life. And all of this is brought about by the answer to sin through for humanity through the cross. The tree where our Savior bore the, cro- the curse that was meant for us. And so we can say, though this curse is our curse, this cross is our cross. And since he took it on, I can have eternal life. This is now my sure and steady hope. And this is what we see of the gospel in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Let's pray together. We trust that this message edified the listener and glorified the God who shows love and mercy to sinners in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. Would you take a moment to leave a positive rating for us on your podcast app? You'll be helping others find this episode and more like it. If you'd like more information about First Baptist Diana, then please visit our website, www.fbcdiana.org.